I kind of kind of explain what baptism is. Baptism uh, is not someone receiving Jesus as their Savior. That's not what that is. Um, you receive Jesus as your Savior when you feel guilty because of your sin and you ask Jesus to be your friend. You ask him to come into your heart and save you. You, you come to realize, and he realized it in his own, in his own way, um, you come to realize that there's punishment for sin, for your wrongdoing, and that Jesus took the punishment for that on the cross of Calvary, and that he did not stay dead, that he rose the third day, and he wants to give you life. And so you, you have that information, and you pray to receive Christ. You can use verbiage like that, or you can just say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I'm sorry for my sins. Please save me. There's all different ways that you can, you can say it, but you always need to, you need to come to a place in your life where you receive Jesus as your Savior, and you begin a relationship with him. It is after that moment that you're baptized. Uh, once you're saved, you are telling other people that you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and asked him to be your Savior. And so what, what he did this morning was he showed you that he prayed to receive Christ, and he wanted to let you know. So Jesus, who has told us that this is something that we should do, right, is up in heaven today absolutely excited that Landon did what he did. And for anybody that uh, proclaims the message of Jesus that they received Christ through the waters of baptism, um, I believe that heaven is just having a little party up there, and, and uh, our, our Savior is well pleased with all of that. So um, we do it on Sunday morning anytime anybody wants to. Like once they're saved, if they're ready, we go for it. And the reason we go for it is because I think it should be as soon as possible. And so that's a part of our service. It, it is what our church, our number one thing our church does. And um, yeah, I just, I just like it. Okay, I just like it. So you'll have to, you'll probably, I'm not going to even say that. <clears throat> I ain't even going to say that. Um, we're in a series called It's Right in Front of You. And it's uh, the, actually the life of Elisha. And um, I wanted to start with a little story this morning that I'd, I heard. I don't remember when I heard it, but I heard it. There was a doctor and a farmer, and they were traveling on a train across the country. And so they had talked to each other. They, they had played some games. They, they had slept. They had, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that you do on a train. So they got to a point where the doctor said, well, let's play a game of riddles. And if you get the riddle wrong, you give me a dollar. And if I get your riddle wrong, I will give you a dollar. So the farmer thought a moment. He said, well, you make more money than I do being a doctor and all. What if I gave you 50 cents if you got mine wrong and you gave me a dollar if I get yours wrong? Or, you know, you know how it is. So um, the, the doctor said, sure, that's fair. So you start. So the, so the farmer said, okay, what has two arms and three legs? The doctor thought and thought and thought and thought and said, I just don't know. So he gave the farmer a, daughter, a, a dollar. And the farmer reached in his pocket, pulled out 50 cents, and gave the doctor 50 cents and said, I don't know either. Great. So good. So good. Oh, you can't outsmart a uh, farmer. Anyway, there you go. 
So, as many of you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge Peanuts fan. There, there are several reasons for it. Um, one is, uh, I just think the Peanuts are real-life characters. I mean, you, everybody has a Lucy in their life. Everybody has a Charlie Brown in their life. Everybody has a Linus in their life. Everybody has a Snoopy in their life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a dog. It could just be somebody that just loves life and, and just loves life. So, anyway, um, there are a couple of holidays that the Peanuts often celebrate within the comic strip that aren't real holidays, but they make them holidays. Um, One is an attachment to Halloween, which is the Great Pumpkin. So you have Linus who believes in the Great Pumpkin. He's going door to door to sell people on the idea of the Great Pumpkin, and uh, he's usually the only one besides Sally sitting in the pumpkin patch waiting on the Great Pumpkin because nobody wants to believe that, right? Where a lesser-known kind of holiday that the Peanuts celebrate is Beethoven's birthday, And and that is because of Schroeder, who plays the little toy piano like it's a huge piano. That's part of the gag. So so every year, uh, December 16th, the reason I know it's that is because it's every year in the comics, 16th of December, they celebrate, um, you know, Beethoven's birthday is what they do. And so every year there's some type of storyline with that particular thing in mind. So um, here's, here's a couple of them. This is Lucy. What are you going to get me for Beethoven's birthday, Charlie Brown? I'm not going to get you anything. I wouldn't get you something for Beethoven's birthday if you were the last girl on earth. What do you got against Beethoven? Beethoven's birthday is December 16th, Jeremy. Have you decided what you're getting me? Yes. I'm not going to get you anything. What kind of holiday is it where you don't give girls presents? There's a sign, only five more shopping days till Beethoven's birthday. Stores are open until 9 o'clock. Yeah. Next, nobody's going to give me anything for Beethoven's birthday. I'm disillusioned. You know, it's kind of hard to imagine a holiday without a little greed attached to it, right? So with that in mind, and I know you're thinking about all those and wondering why in the world I think they're funny, um, turning your Bibles to Second Kings chapter five. Second Kings chapter five. Second Kings chapter five. And um I'm going to read verses 5 and 6, make a couple of points, then we're going to drop down a little bit further in the text. Um, This is is a story that we covered last week about Naaman, and he has leprosy, and he went to see Elisha, and his king sent him with a bunch of stuff. And in verse 5, it says this, And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So here's a guy that has leprosy. His king has sent with him what amounts to a little bit over a million dollars worth of stuff to give to whoever can cure his main guy, his main army guy of leprosy, his chief of staff, if you will, of leprosy. 
So it's a lot, lot of money. Then you go to verse 15 of 2 Kings after he has been healed, and we covered all that last week. But in verse 15, it says this, Then he, Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Just saying, here's, you can have anything that I brought with me. Or you can have it all. You can have it. So Elisha responded, and he says this, but he said, as the Lord lives before for whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. It is amazing to me how a different nation with different people that did not know Jehovah had this type of faith. Faith is not only um, present in, in just Christians. You realize that, right? In just Christians. Now let me pause here a moment to say, there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ and his cross and the resurrection. But people have faith in things, in religions, in religious beliefs that aren't getting them to heaven. See, we, we, have, we have a deceiver. His name is Lucifer. And he runs around all over the world, and he likes to make people feel like that they're religious and saved when they're really religious and lost. Because the only way to heaven, the only real faith is in Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, the resurrection, that's the only way that you get to heaven. So, so here's, this, here's this pagan that doesn't know Jehovah at the beginning of the story. And he goes all the way to see Elisha. He is healed in a river and he converts from his previous religion to the one true God. He, he takes the faith that it took to go to his king and bring all this money with him, right? And all this stuff that he wanted to do, he takes all of that and he takes that faith and, and just puts it in God. The reason that Elisha didn't go out to him at the very beginning was to show him that Elisha wasn't the one doing the miracle. The reason that Elisha didn't want to take any of his stuff was to show, I don't get paid to do this. I don't. You don't pay me and a miracle happens. You don't pay me after a miracle happens. You don't get a miracle just because you were going to pay for it. You get a miracle because God loves you and he has decided to do it. And he is the one that you put your faith in. It's amazing what God decides to do and then you have to put your faith in it. Right? Sometimes faith works that way. So here's a guy that comes in. He's going to give anything possible just to get his, his leprosy healed. He thought he was coming to Israel to be healed of his leprosy, but what he was actually healed of was his sins. What he actually walked away with was faith in the one true God. There was no apologetics course. There was nothing saying that his God was wrong and, and the Israel God was right. He knew when he came up out of that river that 
there was only one true God, and he knew it was Jehovah, and he knew that it was the one that Elisha, Elisha served and no one else. That's what he knew. And so, so he's sitting there, so he has this faith. You might be sitting here today, and you have faith in a bunch of stuff. You have faith in people. You have faith in money. You have faith in what you have at home. You have faith in this, that, and the other. If that is your mode of salvation, if I have enough money to survive, if I have enough stuff to survive in the future, if I have enough to do this, if I have enough to do that, your faith is misplaced. Our faith as Christians should be in God and God alone. And then we are thankful for the provisions that he gives us to survive. That's faith. So here's this man that comes in and he brings all this money. But not only that, he brings back with him dirt. Now, to you and I, we think that's crazy. And I mentioned this last week. We think that's crazy. Two mule loads of dirt. How much dirt is that? Um, couldn't he have got some dirt from his home? No. They believe that the dirt from the area of the God that they believed in was land that they took back with them and they would place it somewhere, and that would be land on which, or dirt on which, they would worship God. Now, before we think that's kind of weird or funny, it is weird. It's kind of different. I do want to say this. God chose a land. He chose a people, and he chose a land for that people to stay on. He chose that land so you and I would not miss the Messiah. Right? He chose the Jews, not necessarily because they were special, but because he wanted Jesus to come at that location. So he chose the people, he gave them a land, and Jesus Christ came and was born in Israel. Bethlehem, but Israel. And he did not want you to miss the Savior. Why? Because if you missed him and put your faith in something else, you wouldn't live with him in heaven. He wanted to make sure that everybody knew the location, the circumstances, and everything that was going to occur around his son's birth, his death, and resurrection, so you and I would not miss it. He was that specific. So we can say all we want to, or people can say all they want to, that we're narrow-minded, that we think Jesus is the only way. We're not the only narrow-minded ones. The God that we serve is also narrow-minded. And he's narrow-minded because he loves you and he doesn't want you to miss out on a relationship with him. Isn't that a great God? Right? If I was to invite you over to my house today for lunch and not give you my address and you went to the wrong house and walked in and said, said I'm here for lunch, I know you're not Philip. I know you didn't invite me, but I'm here for lunch. Do you think you'd get fed Why in the world do we think that we can get to heaven any other way than Jesus? That we can make our own path and get to him this way or that way or some other way? Why on earth do we think, if I love you, I'm going to give you my address. I'm going to tell you what we're eating. I'm going to make sure that you like what we're eating, right? I'm going to make sure that it's filled with flavor that will make your taste bugs just dance and tingle and my wife will cook because she's really good at baking and pies and all that kind of stuff so, so she does that it's a wonder I'm skinny sort of there's kind of this little tube thing going on you know 
And what I say is, well, if I ever have to jump into the pool, at least I have a life-saving device. Um, okay, so on to the message, back to the message. So he wanted to make sure, and so they took this dirt back. Okay? So, verse 17 of, um, verse 16, rather. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. Skip down to 19. And he said to him, said to Naaman, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, See, my master had spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi is the servant of Elisha. He has heard everything that Elisha has said. But he is bothered that Elisha didn't take any of the loot. It's what he's bothered by. And so he says, you know, I really liked a couple of those pieces of clothing, and I really like silver. So Elisha might not want it, but I do. So he pursues Naaman. In verse 21, so Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. Now, a couple of things. First of all, why in the world did Gehazi think that he could do this? Why did he think that? Why did he look and say, I know Elisha doesn't want me to because he knew that. I know Elisha said not to take anything, but there's some things I really won't. Why in the world did he decide to take it upon himself and get something from Naaman? Why did he do that? Is it because that he felt that Naaman was an enemy of God and they should pay? They should hurt somehow? Something should be detracted from them, from their possessions? Is it because of that? Did he rationalize and say, because Naaman is a bad man and he's uh, a, a army official that fights against my country, I have every right to go and receive something from, from them. Is it because that Gehazi thought that Elisha was crazy? Why, would, why wouldn't you take the money? Why wouldn't you? And if you don't, I do a lot of daggone work around here. Elisha's in there, all he's doing is kicking up his feet and praying or something like that. I'm washing the dishes, I'm, I'm doing the garden, I'm, I'm doing, you know, walking with him, getting this, that, and the other. He, he says, Gehazi, go do this, and I go do it, and I never, I never get 
get an opportunity to have a reward. I never get an opportunity to have a present. I never get anything that I'm entitled to. So he's thinking, man, maybe he was thinking, man, this is the time that I can get something that I really want, that I really want to possess, and there's nothing wrong with me going to get it. Does anybody know what that's called? It's called greed. It's called greed. It's called greed. And it's any time that you and I decide that we need to take something that isn't rightfully ours. So, a couple things about greed. First, this verse. Luke 12, 15 says, Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possession. So be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So that begs the question, what kind of, kinds of greed are there? I really want to know that. Yeah. First, greed of power. Have you ever saw anybody that was greedy for power? They just wanted their position and they went for it? See, greed is not just money. It's not just money. It's greed for power. If I was in position of power, I could do this, and I could wield my power and cause people to do this, that, and the other. I want to be a very powerful, influential person, and they go for it, and it's kind of greedy. They're not really satisfied unless they have that. Here's another type of greed. Hoarding. 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 So... Greed of hoarding is, is people that overdo it with canned goods and stuff that they store at their house like they have enough to feed a whole country of people at their house, food, ammunition and stuff because they're afraid that something major is going to happen and they're not going to be prepared for it. This is beyond, I know you prepare for the future, so I'm not saying it, but it is, it is you know I'm being careful here because y'all have guns. So, so there, there's like this hoarding thing that goes on that kind of, kind of we, we put things here. Oh my goodness, if, if the world falls apart, I am going to need at least 20 to 50,000 green bean cans so that my, right? Or I need a bunch of potatoes or I need to get army rations and just stack them up. And I basically need to build a couple of buildings in order to prepare for any time this country is attacked, any time the people come after us, and you hoard, you hoard, and hoard, and hoard. And the reason that that's greed is because you are putting your trust in what you have and not the God that can provide for you during that time. There is a difference between preparing for the future and hoarding. Hoarding is when you ever do it, you spend every dime of your money to do it, you go after it, you cannot rest until there's one more can of green beans. I know I'm using green beans, I hate green beans. You use one more can of green beans, you, you know, one more can of this, one more thing of this, one more, one more thing of that in your closet, and you just can't get rid of it. And that's all your mind thinks about, that's greed, that's, that's hoarding, that's putting your faith in possessions. 
okay? So greed for power, greed for hoarding. Here's the next one. Greed of acquisition. Greed of acquisition. I, I used a big word. And unknowingly spelled it correctly. So today, um, they in the back, they look at my stuff and make sure everything's um, spelled correctly. And Tracy says, hey, you, I said, did I, was there anything you had to change? Because I was thinking about that word. And she said, yeah, everything was spelled correctly. I said, are you sure acquisition was spelled correctly? She said, yeah, it was spelled correctly. So I'm, I'm living on a cloud of pride right now. Just like acquisition. Anyway, acquisition. It's when you want something and you want it and you want it and you have to acquire it and you can't get, you get it off your mind because you have to have it. You have to have it. Um, back, back when I was in junior high, because they had junior high at um, where I went to school, junior high, Northwest Junior High, um, I had been collecting these books. It's three investigator mystery series. And there are a few of them I didn't have. Just a few of them I didn't have. Um, when I say a few, um, that, would, that would be 16, but it's just, it's just a few of them I, I didn't have. So what I did in, in seventh and eighth grade, seventh and eighth grade, was I went to the library at the junior high, and I took the books that I didn't have over a period of time, because I had to have those. I wanted the complete set, and it encompassed my mind. And so I figured out how to take a book out of the library. Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm one of those people. Take it out of the library without the library knowing out there knowing at all. And this is a time where they would check your books. Like they would put the stamp, you know, it wasn't electronic, it was a stamp, right? And so I just didn't show them my book. So, so I got all 16 and completed my collection of three investigator mystery series. And I felt, I felt good about that, having the whole collection. It wasn't until I was in Bible college that they were having a little uh, revival on campus that I realized that that was what's called stealing. Not only that, that steal, stealing that stuff was also um, a, a form of greed. I was trying to acquire something that wasn't mine, and I was basically taking it, right? It's a form of greed, to have a full collection. Now, some of you out there completely understand what I'm talking about because you're what is called OSD? No? ODS? That's right, a new, and you are OCD, Yes. I knew the OCD person would speak up quickly, just like that. I knew she would. So OCD, and you know, you know that, but that was still wrong. So what did I do after that revival? Well, I packed up all 16 of those three investigator mystery series, and I went back to Northwest Guilford, which now didn't have a junior high. It was a middle school, and I walked into that library with those books, and I said, I'm sorry, I stole this, stole these when I was here. I back way in the past, and I'm sorry, I laid them out on the desk, and the librarian honestly did not know what to say. She just looked at me, and before she could call the police, she could call anybody to get me, I was, I was out the door. So I returned 
the books, okay? Just want to let you know, I return, return those books. But it's greed of acquisition. There's some of, some of us that have trouble with that. We have to have, we have to have, we have to have, we have to acquire. That is a form of greed. I think that Gehazi saw the clothing and he saw the money and he just had to have it. So why not bend the rules to get it? What is wrong with bending the rules to get it? Next, greed of entitlement. (laughs) It's mine. What you have is mine and what I have is mine and it's mine. I'm entitled to have that. I'm entitled to have it. Um, I believe that people that struggle with the greed of entitlement drive slow in the left-hand lane. I believe that. They're entitled to be there. I believe that people with entitlement park park in a, in a loading zone when they're not loading their vehicle at Lowe's. That's right. You go there, and these people, they, they're not getting wood. There's no way you can fit wood in that little electric car they drive. And if you are, I don't know what you're building, a steakhouse, something for your kids, out of popsicles. I don't know what you're building, but you're not loading up anything. You need to take that vehicle and park it in a parking space. It's entitlement. Entitlement. It's the people that, like I I saw saw one the other day, and I I know that we all struggle with this sometimes, but but this, this person they drove, here's food line in Louisville. So, you, you know, you have the side doors like the one here. And this lady, high-maintenance woman, she drived up to this portion, got out of her vehicle, left the vehicle there, and she did all her grocery shopping while the vehicle was parked in a no-parking zone, a fire lane, and people had to walk around it in order to get into food line. Are, are you tracking with me? It's entitlement. That is greed. That's my spot. I paid for it with my tax money. I'm the one who should have the right to do that. It is greed. It's entitlement. I'm entitled to that. There's other entitlements. People think that they're entitled to health care. And as much as I believe that you should have insurance and that I want you to be healthy and I want all that to work out for you financially and stuff, none of us is entitled to health care. You know what? You're not entitled to have a job. You're, you're not in, it, somebody shouldn't just give you a job just because, just because you wear the right perfume or just because you're an American, you shouldn't have a job. You shouldn't be entitled to just having a check. You're, you're not entitled. That's a form of greed. The Bible says we work for the stuff that we should have. We provide for our families in the best way possible. The Bible also says for the Christians that have more than the Christians that are working that have less, that we should all be a family and help each other out from time to time when there's a need. I mean, that's how the Bible has that, that in place. But entitlement is also greed. And I think that Gehazi did all of these. I think he felt entitled to the stuff that he went after. And that's why he went after. So he bent the rules and went after it. Um, I want to pause a moment just to, to make this, this point. I understand more than you know, more than you know about bending rules. 
I understand more than you know. I have that inside of me. I, I like to see a rule, like if I'm not under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I like to see a rule and try to figure out how to get around that rule or break it or bend it or do my own thing. Is everybody with me? Right. I want to warn you against doing that. Sometimes when there's rules in place and policies in place and things in place that you should abide by, you really should abide by them. Because there's more going on than just you. So when you break that little rule, there's a big impact from breaking that rule. Um, I, can, I can think of several examples of this where someone just broke a rule a little bit and then they wound up causing a big event. You don't break the little rules, the big stuff don't happen. Little things matter in life. And Gehazi started because he was breaking a little rule. What is the harm of me doing? What is the harm of me taking something from Naaman? Do you see how this works? Elisha set the policy in motion, and Gehazi is saying, well, what's the harm in me having two changes of clothes and a couple of bags of silver? And that's exactly what we do sometimes with other things. Be careful breaking those rules. In fact, I wouldn't break them at all. Abide by them and go by them. That's what I would say. And I, dude, I, dude and duets, I know there's women in here, so we'll be equal, but um, I get it. I, rules irritate me to death, like 55 mile per hour rules. Just an example, just an example. I wish I had the power to change all of that, but that would be greedy. All right, so check this out. Verse 26. Is that where we're at? Yeah. But he said to him, oh, wait, wait, verse 24. And when he came to the hill, he took from them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. That's Gehazi. Gehazi went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Do not, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants." forever. There's a lot of commentators that see Gehazi a little bit later, and they say that he was healed from his leprosy. According to the word of God, he never was, and neither were his descendants. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. There is always a consequence that is negative when we give into greed and we give into that sort of thing in our lives. So, what should we be? How should we live our lives? Well, here's how. First Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. That is an interesting verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me give you a couple things. First, Contentment doesn't mean you don't move forward with your life. 
You notice godliness with contentment is great gain. That doesn't mean that contentment is just you sitting and waiting, and I'm just content to stay here. No, contentment is forward motion. It doesn't mean that you don't improve your life, you don't go forward with your life. Contentment isn't remaining the same, but, but it's a little bit more than that. So contentment doesn't mean you don't move forward with your life. Next, contentment is when you are content with where God has you now. That's contentment. When God is ready to move you, he'll make that obvious that you should move. He'll make, he'll make that obvious. But contentment is when you are content with where God has you now. Are you content with where God has you right now? There, there's some people in the room that you might not be content with your job. You might not be content with your marriage. You might not be content with not being married because you've been waiting to get married and you just haven't found the right one. You might not be content with the home that you live in currently. You might not be content though you've graduated with, with just the way life is currently. You might not be content with the fact that you have a couple of kids and they're tying you down, you know, and you want to do something else. You want to be freer, but you have these kids you have to take care of. There are parents like that as well. You might not be content with this, that, or the other. You just might not be content, but you need to be content with where God has you right now and live in that moment. God will move you when he is ready, and he has different ways that he moves you into position, but we should be content with where God has us right now. It doesn't mean that you don't have a plan to move forward. But it means that you're not anxious. You're not trying to go for something that you don't have. You're not discontented in, in your pursuit of what is next. Does that make sense? So here's another one. Contentment doesn't mean you don't work. Okay? Contentment, contentment doesn't mean, well, I'm content. Or... Do you know what I'm doing? That's a, a tablet. You're watching something on a tablet. Okay, maybe this is better. <laughs> yeah, not, not that. It means you work. Contentment means you work. Next, contentment is found in God's plan. And I would st- take this one step further. Contentment is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Now, that, that sounds like a religious answer to, to a feeling that you might have. But I'm telling you, contentment is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. His plan for my life, I'm content with. Him saving my soul, I'm content with. His provision for my life, I'm content with. I'm content in praying and trying to figure out where he wants me to go next. I have faith in him to show me where I need to go next. I have faith in the Holy Spirit to, to let me know what I need to know from Scripture. I'm content in the love of the Father that sent his Son to die on the cross for my sins. I'm content that the Father loves me even though I might find out that one of my family members have cancer. I'm content. I don't know what that means. I know that I'm going to have to walk through it, but I'm content with what has happened. I'm content if someone dies that's close to me in a car accident or if they die of normal consequences, I'm content with that because Jesus Christ loves me. God the Father loves me, and I'm content in that. Am I happy about it? No. 
I'm sad about it, but you should be able to be sad and content at the same time. You should be able to be happy and content at the same time. You should have concerns and content at the same time. Contentment is not based on your environment. It's based on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Contentment is found in God's plan, and God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. So if God tells you to watch your eyes and what you're viewing on TV and make sure that it's clean and appropriate and holy, you watch what, you watch what you're watching. If God says, be careful what you hear, right, and what you're listening to and don't buy into stuff that's outside of the word of God, you pay attention to God's plan for your life and what you're hearing. You pay attention to this stuff. Contentment is found in God's plan. And specifically, it's found in Christ and Christ alone. Contentment. Contentment. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. Elisha, the greatest prophet of his day. Gehazi was his second man. And still, being that close to a man of God, he still fell into grief. We need to make sure that we do not do the same. We need to fight and make sure that we're content in Jesus and what he has for us today and let everything else go. Your life will be a lot easier. Well, you won't sweat as much. You won't worry as much. You don't have stress as much. Probably prevents you from having a heart attack. There are people I know who are so greedy they've had heart attacks. I'm no doctor, but that happens. They have so much stress in their life because they're trying to prove something, their position, their power, their money, keep their money, and so much stress in their life to keep that greed going that it affects their health. Their health falls away. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus and him alone, stress generally goes out the window. There's a level of it but it doesn't hurt you as much as if you just push him out of the way and trust in something else. So that's the message for today. That's it. That's all I got. So we're going to pray.